following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. At long last, we are um, today in the second of a little two-week series called Treasures in Heaven. This is a series about financial faithfulness. And uh, as I joked last week, uh, if you're just hearing that right now, it's, it's too late to skip church today. <laughs> um, I also joked last week that the, the leadership team made me do this, because I don't necessarily like talking about money, or you know, kind of so I thought, because once I started to research it, I found that there's a lot to say about money, and uh, the Bible's teachings and stories have all kinds of things about money, and uh, not least, of course, many teachings of Jesus have a lot to say about money. And I'm of the opinion, probably not a very humble one, that much of this has been distorted and used abusively, and uh, certainly the popular understanding of how those texts are used has been, I think, distorted. And so I'm pretty excited about redeeming a lot of that if we can, or at least talking through it. But we only have the two weeks here. So what I said last week, I I think, is actually what's going to happen, which is we'll revisit this in June, which is the next time we have nothing on the schedule, um, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about things like what does it mean to be a cheerful giver, which is a very churchy phrase, but it comes right out of the Bible. We'll talk about what it means uh, when it says money is the root of all kinds of evil. We'll talk about um, how Jesus said it would be harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. Uh, we could talk about how the Pharisees, in their effort to tithe a certain percentage, to give up a certain percentage of, their, of everything, right down to the, the herbs in their storage closet, neglected what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law. We could talk about Jesus uh, telling his disciples, basically, pay your taxes. It's Caesar's head on that coin anyway, and what that means for us. Um, we could even, if you want talk about the couple in the early church who sold a piece of property and then held back some of the proceeds and lied about it and uh, dropped dead on the spot as a result. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we need a flannel graph for that, right? (laughs) So there's a lot we could cover, and I hope that we will be able to do that in June um, when when we revisit the series. Suffice it to say, though, for right now, these two sermons, today and last week, are not in any way intended to be a comprehensive statement about financial faithfulness, Uh, not an attempt to cover everything. They're just, uh, they flow out of what's a fairly arbitrary structure, as I told you last week, which is just that I realized uh, every week when I pray for our offering, I, I say at least two things each time, sometimes a little bit more than that, but the two things that recur every time are that we thank God for providing our needs and that we ask that the gifts that are being given would be used, I say blessed and multiplied, um, for the good of bringing about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so last week we talked about God's provision as a, a basis for giving and you probably remember if you were here that I asked you to ask yourself the following question. Does worrying about money cause me to be less generous, right? I asked you and me and everybody to, to consider that possibility. And I said that if, if you answered yes, that my challenge to you would be to give some money away or to give more money away, whatever it might be, then you usually would. 
Um, and I said you could give the money to any cause or any person you want as long as it wasn't Artisan Church. Uh, because I didn't want this to be um, a trick to fill our coffers. I really, really wanted it to be uh, an exercise in trusting God and His provision and in expanding our own personal sense of generosity. Um, that having been said, by the way, this is probably as good a time as any to tell you that I think we have um, giving, year-end giving statements for, for those of you who do give to the church um, <laughs> available. I think they're going to be available today. They're, they're printed at least. I'm not sure if the envelopes are stumped, stuffed just yet, but uh, you can look for those. So I hope that many of you took me up on that challenge, and if you did take me up on that challenge and you gave some money away or gave a little bit more than you usually would, I would like to hear from you. Not right this second, but you could email it to me if you have an interesting story, if something sort of stirred in your heart and, and you want to tell me how that went, I'd love to hear from you. So talk to me afterwards or email me, scott at artsandchurch.com. Um, I'd love to hear that story. So having talked last week about God's provision and that being a foundation for all of the things that we want to think about when we think about giving and finances, I want to talk today about the second half of that offering prayer, the part about how we want the gifts that are given to be used to bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's our title today as it is in heaven. And the phrase, as you might well know, comes from the Lord's Prayer, which is why we used that prayer today and last week in place of our regular confession. The Lord's Prayer is so called because uh, Jesus gave it as a model for how we should pray uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'd like to look at that passage together with you. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn to Matthew 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are these red hardcover Bibles uh, around the sanctuary. You're welcome to pick one up and turn to page 787. And if you do not own a Bible and would like to own a Bible, please take one of those red Bibles home with you. We have people do that all the time. We buy boxes of them uh, fairly regularly so that people can take them with them if they wish. So the, the Lord's Prayer um, occurs in verses 9 through 13 of this chapter. I'm actually going to start at verse uh, 7 and read through verse 15 and, uh, because I think there's some setup and follow-up that Jesus does that's worth at least looking at. So starting in verse 7 of chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. By the way, He had preceded this by saying something about how certain Jewish believers prayed. Let's go look at that. That starts in verse 5. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So picking up in verse 9, this is where he gives us the example of how to pray. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. 
And he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the most pertinent uh, verse in this passage for our purposes today is verse 10, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But to that, we probably need to add at least verses 11 and 12, don't we? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because you can't separate these three concepts, can you? You can't separate God's will being done from God's provision of our basic needs from that two-way street of forgiveness. God forgiving us and we forgiving as we forgive others. It's all of a piece in that prayer. So I think those three things tie together. And that's why I say, I think this is what I said when I wrote the description for the website and the bulletin, that this sermon, it's it's maybe surprising, but the Lord's Prayer offers a definitive word on financial faithfulness. That money is a tool for accomplishing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's also why I tend to pray that way every time we take a moment to give here in church. Because I think there is an inextricable link between God giving us our daily bread and God's will being done on earth. And this cycle of forgiveness and grace in the community of faith and beyond. I think the real question we have to ask ourselves, though, as we try to interpret and apply this particular piece of the Lord's Prayer is this. How do we define God's kingdom and God's will? There's a lot of ways to answer that question. Um, Entire books have been written, even very recently, uh, about God's kingdom. Entire sermons have been preached, even by me, about God's will and how we understand that. Uh, by the way, the book that I, one of the books that talks about God's kingdom was uh, just the most recent publication by Scott McKnight, who was the author that we read this past summer when we were looking at um, being shaped by the words of Scripture, the blue parakeet. So it's kind of cliche to say this. I know I say this kind of thing a lot, but I could preach forever. I could preach a whole sermon, a whole series on what it means to understand God's kingdom and understand God's will. Uh, obviously, we don't have time to do that. Not to mention the fact that we really do talk about that kind of a lot. Almost no matter what our topic is, it seems to come up. Maybe not in those precise terms, but we're constantly talking about uh, the work that we're seeing God doing in the world and how we want to come alongside God in, in the work that he's doing in the world. And we often talk about God's kingdom as this already not yet reality. You've heard me say that phrase a bunch of times, right? That, that there is... Uh, a future where all the things will be finished and come to fruition. And part of our task as the church is to, to pull that future into the, into the present a little bit. And that's what, that's what this means. We want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in some ways, our entire church is predicated on that idea and grounded in that reality. But rather than rehash that concept or try to summarize for you entire books in you know, the few minutes that we have left, what I want to do is look briefly at the early church and how they lived out and lived into this idea. 
essentially what they did with their money and, and why. So I want to make the assumption here, come with me if you will, that the earliest Christians took the teachings of Jesus, these, this one included, and of the apostles, and put them into practice in a way that might be a useful model or a, a roadmap of sorts for us as we're trying to live out our faith um, and use our finances faithfully. Right. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a bird's eye view, big picture, categorical kind of things. How did the early church use their money? And then we'll see if that's a good model for us. I think it will be. So very famously in Acts chapter 2, this is the, the, talking about the, the very beginnings of the church. Acts 2.44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And that's restated, reiterated, and confirmed in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, 4.32. The whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's key, by the way. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. So this puts a little bit of a crimp perhaps, in the common connection made in America between Christianity and unrestrained capitalism. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a crimp. I, that said, I don't, I don't think either that you can use this descriptive passage uh, as an argument or a prescription that communalism is the way that all believers ought to live at all times and all places. Suffice it to say, that's what they did in the early church. And you can almost read the tone that Luke is using when he's talking about this, this event, which is in the past for him, um, the distant past for us, but the more recent past for him. This is what it was like at the very beginning. Everybody did this. But you can see lots of different stories in the, uh, in the New Testament about churches springing up where they didn't do this exact thing. So that's why I say I don't think it's a prescription for communalism either. But it certainly ought to give us pause uh, about our current financial system in America. So that's one thing. Everybody being of one heart, one mind, one soul, selling possessions, thinking of things as everything in common and giving to those who have need in the community. That's, that's on our bird's eye view, that's one way the early church used money, one way they lived out this idea and tried to bring about their picture of their understanding of God's kingdom being real on earth as it is in heaven. Here's another one. If you look at Acts 16, um, Paul's going on his missionary journeys and he goes through Macedonia. And a wealthy woman, uh, whose name is Lydia, she's described as a dealer in purple cloths. Right? She's a textiles baron, S. <laughs> she's converted in Paul's ministry. And then later in that chapter, you see that it appears she has offered her home as the gathering place for the church that was springing up around in Macedonia. So she essentially donated the first church structure um, in Europe. Kind of cool. And then another bird's eye view thing of how, how the early church used their money, can, you can find all kinds of examples in the letters of Paul. 
So Paul went all over the Mediterranean basin, started churches, preached and made converts, and the churches that sprung up behind them, he would, he would send letters back to them after he'd left to encourage them to continue in the faith. And in some cases, there's clearly a correspondence that goes back and forth a couple of times. He sometimes sends letters when he's about to go and be with them and saying, I'm coming, please have this ready. <laughs> sometimes it's money. What you can see in the letters of Paul is that there's lots of giving going on in the early church. As I read it, that giving is understood to be used, instructed to be used primarily for two categories of purpose. The first is uh, to support the poor believers, particularly the ones in Jerusalem. Christianity took, home in, took hold in Jerusalem and... Um, you know, those of you who know your history know that there was not exactly a middle class in Jerusalem this time. You had super wealthy people, kind of wealthy people, and then a lot of poor people, right? And most of the early believers were in that last category, and they really struggled, uh, at, at least until 313 when Constantine converted and, and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire and basically ruined everything. Um, but they were struggling, and Paul knew they were struggling. And so he would collect money from the, uh, the other cities, and he would bring it back to the believers in Jerusalem. So support of the poor, again, reiterated. The other thing that happens in Paul's letters is that he instructs people to give to support those who are in ministry. Right? So he... And, and, few different places, uh, which I won't spend any time reading because it would seem slightly self-serving probably, um, tells the people you need to give money to the people who are, who are carrying the gospel. That's part of what it looked like in the early church too. Right. So again, bird's eye view, big categorical kind of things. The way the early church used their money, they shared their possessions together, at least some of the time they did. They used money for the facilitation and gathering points for worship. At least some of the times they did. They gave generously to the poor. At least some of the time they did. And they gave generously to the ministers of the gospel. At least some of the time they did. And the reason I said that phrase each time is because I want to be careful that I don't give you the impression that I think that all of these things are true for all of us at all times, right? And I also want that to drive home a a point, which is that I don't think you can look at any one thing and say that's what God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven looks like or should look like. I think that the picture that you get when you try to, to paint what God's will and kingdom on earth as it is in heaven looks like is variegated. It's broad. It's beautiful in so many different ways. But I think that the early church, for now, in the limited time that we have, is probably a pretty good model for us as we think about as a church and as individuals who make up this church. How are we to be financially faithful? How could we expect to see God's provision of daily bread in our own lives, on our own tables, get turned back around 
blessed and multiplied, used as a tool to bring about his kingdom and his will on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us now to that effect. Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves before you. We acknowledge you as king. We place ourselves into your service. All of us. All of what we have and all of what we bring is yours. And we dedicate it to you as a church. Not just money, but time and talent and attention and love and care and empathy. We give ourselves to you and your church. We pray that you would help us to see your provision in the places where it seems to be absent. We pray that you would help us to be your provision for others in the places where it seems to be absent. And we pray that we would see the realities of your kingdom and your will coming and being done on earth as it is in heaven. Be with us today and always as we continue to journey and struggle and try to understand what that should look like in our context, in our city, around the world. What it means for us as Artisan Church to use your provision as a tool for bringing about your will. We pray these things in your name, O Lord. Amen. Well, the great gift of Christ is his body and blood. And no matter what we talk about, no matter what the sermon is about, no matter which songs we sing or prayers we pray, the point that we drive to as the climax of our gathered worship together is right here before you. It is the table of the Lord. The bread and the wine and the juice, symbols of his body broken for us, of his blood shed for us, sacramental means of grace for us as we seek to follow him and know him more. Food for our souls, as John Wesley so beautifully put it. And the table around which we can all gather communally. And so as we sing these last couple of songs together as people who would like to receive prayer, receive prayer, uh, I want to invite all of you now who would seek to follow Jesus in this place, on this day, to come to his table. You can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever would be more appropriate for you and your family. If you'd like to get your kids and have them participate in this, that's okay, or you can go get them right afterwards if you prefer. Either way is fine. Uh, If you're not a believer, if you're not, you would say, I'm not quite sure about this, I'm not following Jesus, I don't know what that is, I don't know if it's for me yet, we want you to feel welcome and comfortable in this moment as well. Uh, And so you are free to sit and think, meditate, pray, observe, whatever is comfortable for you. We simply ask that you would respond to the Holy Spirit, the sense that God is trying to do something in and through you, whatever it might be this morning, and, and try to step into that grace and walk in that road together. Our table's open. Respond to God as he speaks to you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.